0: Hey everyone! This is Amy, your new host for the next few weeks on the Millennial Pastor Podcast. I'm so excited that you'll be joining me on this journey as we talk to women in ministry and discuss the challenges that they have faced as well as the hope that they have for the future. I want to welcome and thank Pastor Lydia for being my very first guest interview. I think you're really going to enjoy her story i also wanted to give our listeners a brief heads up and an apology right off the bat neither one of our pets were being very cooperative on the day that we recorded and so we've done our very best to clean up um, the background noise as we could but if you hear a little bit of that that's what's going on we really appreciate you continuing to understand as we live out these days of COVID, trying to record from our homes, which are not always the quietest places. And so with that, I really hope you enjoy our first episode of the Millennial Pastor Podcast, Female Pastor Edition. Welcome to the Millennial Pastor Podcast. I am Amy McCroskey, and I'm going to be filling in a little bit for Josiah and Byron, who usually host this podcast. Um, as I said in the intro, we thought it would be fun to change it up a little bit and interview um, people who live on the other side of the country and also interview female pastors. And so today, um, lucky me, Lydia Hutchison has volunteered to be my first um, guinea pig in letting me interview her. And Lydia and I are on the same district. We live in Central Florida, and the Florida district. And as my memory serves me, Lydia, we met at Kids Camp and probably really talked most at team camp am I remembering right
1: yeah you probably first saw me because I was dancing around trying to get the kids to feel really comfortable and happy so your first memory of me you probably saw um your mind is probably trying to not remember me being all silly and goofy but the kids did get up and dance so you know there's that
0: I actually um, have really good memories of you at Kids Camp, and that's why I chose you for this interview, because you had a like a
1: um, mascot or something you carried around, like a pig or something. Oh, yes, (laughs) Rufus LeBacon. Yes. Okay. So it was this like squeaky toy. I'm not sure if it was supposed to be a dog toy or just a party toy, but his name was Rufus LeBacon. He had a, a, it was a pig with a skirt on a Hawaiian skirt and the kids just fell in love with him they ended up deciding that we were going to have our talent show be about that pig and they loved it I
0: remember I remember that now that you said that so that was one of my favorite things is watching um not only like a young pastor a female pastor lead in such a energetic loving way and then bringing the fun to it I It was just really exciting. So, um, that's my, that's my favorite thing of you, but then I, in the years following that, I've just watched you develop in ministry and I love, um, uh, doing that and I'm excited for you. And so, uh, we'll talk all about that and you can tell us more about where you serve and your calling and all of that, but first, um, in true form to follow Josiah and Byron, um, Lead, I guess kind of in their quickiness they usually play a millennial game and so I thought we might play and not really play but I might ask you some questions um called you might be a female pastor if.
1: oh no I feel scared already <laughs>
0: no 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 So in true form, just like Josiah and Byron, um, these questions will be tongue-in-cheek and sarcastic because what we're really attempting to do is um, touch on that stereotype head-on and address it and then kind of almost show how ridiculous it is. So are you ready?
1: I think so, I hope so. (laughs) You can do. The first question is, Why do you enjoy living
0: in sin by insisting on teaching men?
1: Oh, because I'm just, you know, like me and the devil are besties. Don't you know this? (laughs) Obviously not. Come on, seriously. You have to look at the scripture, the whole context of God's word and not try to take one little scripture out of context and say, oh, you can't preach. You got to look at the whole context of scripture.
0: Well, I'm assuming you're familiar with the stereotype and have heard lots of, well, this one's a biggie. This is more than a stereotype. This is like whole doctrines are based around this. So um, yeah. All right, let's move on. So <laughs> number two, as a single woman, so this is another thing. You're not just a woman, you're a single pastor. So we have a different perspective. So I'd like your perspective on this as a single woman. Why are you out there just
1: trying to steal everyone's husbands? My question is, why would I, like, want their husband? I mean, no offense, their husbands are probably nice, but seriously, like, that's just, why? Like, uh, no, no, I do not want to steal anybody's husbands. Um, I want my own. Thank you. (laughs) Or who even says I want your husband? Like, who says I even want a husband? (laughs) Oh, very good. Very good. Okay. Number three um why is your voice so high pitched and shrilly when you preach oh this one drives me crazy like, like seriously like thankfully no one's ever said it to me personally but I've heard a lot of people say that and it's like yeah like okay I'm sorry my tone of voice is not good enough for you like I've heard people say that about other pastors and I feel really bad whenever I hear that like
0: you think and- that male pastors are ever told they speak too low
1: I know, like, <laughs> seriously, because that's how God wanted my voice to be. said so
0: God is probably deep and low. So, you know. <laughs> All right. Last question. Now, you're also currently a children's pastor. Is that correct? Okay. Yes. So um, why can't you just be happy teaching the children? And why do you have to come into the sanctuary with where the adults are and try to teach them too? Oh,
1: goodness. Um, How about my answer be this? Because God asked me to, like, you don't go into ministry because is uh, you want to and the pay is great, because let's just say it, pastors don't make a lot of money. But I mean, like, I remember being in middle school and God calling me into ministry. And it was just like, okay, God, I'm going to do it. I never expected that I was going to have people who were Like, oh, I don't want you in ministry just because of my gender. Like, that's so like 1900s or 1700s. (laughs) Awesome. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, we're going to talk all
0: about that and learn more about your calling. So I'm really excited to hear that part because I don't know that I've ever heard that part of your story. So thanks for playing along with us as we played. You might be a female pastor if. Um, Hopefully we've broken down those stereotypes just a little bit. So as we start, um, really getting to know you a little bit better, um, I've already said we live in central Florida, but maybe you could share, um, what I'd like to hear you share is your background, maybe how, were you raised in church, how you came into the church, if not, um, how did you get into the Nazarene church? And then I'd like you to move into maybe your calling and where you're serving now.
1: Okay, yeah. It's sure. a lot and
0: I hope you remember if you forget.
1: <laughs> yeah. Okay, so um, my full name is Lydia Rose Hutchison. I'm from Florida, like Central Florida, uh, born, raised, hopefully never have to leave. I love Florida, the weather here. I like the hot weather. Please don't ever take me away from the warm weather. Like it's been cold lately and I've been like dying, freezing. So uh, yeah, so I live in Florida and um, I grew up in the church. I was one of those kids that I would like to say is a church brat kind of kid. I uh, went to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday. I'm sure there was a few times throughout the weeks that I was there. Um, I was also homeschooled. So that meant that any free time came, we were there. So that was kind of how I was growing up, like a church brat there all the time. And I was raised by parents who are Christians as well, and my parents did end up getting divorced when I was in middle school. I think it was might have been elementary school. after a while, you kind of forget the times with that. and I still you know was in church. I love church uh, my mom took me to church all the time. my dad uh, uh, has attended different churches as well um but I don't know. Uh, how did I get to the Nazarene church? That was your one of your questions. Yes. So I actually didn't start with the Nazarene church. I wasn't involved in Nazarene churches until I think, let's see, maybe sixth grade, eighth grade. So what happened is I was involved with something called Bible quiz if you've never heard of it before, it is this amazing discipleship program for teenagers. They have it for kids as well, but the teen program is phenomenal. And so I was doing it at a different denomination. And one of my fellow teammates, he was doing quizzing at multiple denominations because his dad was the coach at a different church. And so because I was doing quizzing with him. I was like, okay, I can go and join their team as well. Why not? Like I love quizzing. And so I went and I competed and it was just really cool. I liked the church. I was really enjoying it. Uh, I know that sounds really boring. I was enjoying quizzing. Yippee. Well, (laughs) Fast forward a little bit. Um, my, Mom and I, we kind of moved a little bit, always in Florida, but like, you know, the, the church we were going to was so far away. And so we ended up going to a Nazarene church that was a little bit closer to us as opposed to driving a long distance to some of other churches. And so um, I just kind of fell in love with the doctrine of the Nazarene church. I love how uh, from the beginning, women have always been accepted as um being allowed to have callings into ministry Um, I love the theology of sanctification like that's one of those things that you don't really hear a lot about in other denominations but you hear about in the Nazarene church about how we're called to holiness and so that's kind of my story of how I got to the Nazarene church that's awesome (laughs) see I love that because I did not know that story
0: I forgot to ask you at the top, you are a millennial, but could you tell everybody how old you are and where you fall in that spectrum?
1: Okay, so I was born in 1995. I am 26 years old right now. So basically I am like the baby millennial. So like give or take a year or two and I would not be a millennial, but I'm very glad to be a millennial. Millennials are the best. So all the millennials that are listening to this now, yay. Thank you for letting me be a part of your group.
0: And Josiah and I have a running joke that I am at the like other end of the spectrum where I barely, I mean, I barely fit. If I even fit, I might be six months too old, but I don't really relate with, um, and I always forget which even generation comes before millennials um that I don't relate with that at all but then I kind of border like don't relate with millennials either so I'm in that middle whatever we call it zennials or whatever um (laughs) so we're just going to be oddballs out but I love that we are that far apart in age and um I also love the doctrine of the church of the Nazarene and (laughs) um I love that you quizzed I also Bible quizzed, but not as a teen so I'm not that uh, oh I didn't know that did you do the as a quiz? kid I did yeah um and then I made sure that my children Bible quizzed because I loved it so much so we coached for a while and um my kids altered it but when they got to the teen um age they just quit on me so I was really heartbroken um so that's neither here nor there but shout out to quizzing I love that (laughs) and I love that it brought you into the Nazarene church so all right well very cool um so talk about how you got your calling like you I mean I know we talked about how you felt women were welcomed in our denomination but how did when did you feel called and um what did that look like and then from there maybe like um
1: well talk about that and then I have a follow-up question okay (laughs) So my story is kind of interesting. So apparently when I was a baby, a pastor or a preacher came to our church and actually spoke over my life and told my parents that one day I would be preaching. And of course, the good parents that they are, they didn't tell me this uh, because they didn't want me to just fall into ministry because someone else said I should. And then it not be me. And, you know, they're all that Stuff. So I kind of grew up and didn't know about this. Well, when I started to get, you know, like in the middle school age, I started to feel feelings. Actually, not the right word. This knowing, this knowing that that was what God wanted me to do. He wanted me to to preach, to speak God's word to others. And I remember I was um, doing this competition, and it was with another denomination. But they had different talents that you could do. You could do a drama thing, you could play music. And one of the things that you could do was you could write a sermon and preach. And I chose to do it. And I remember writing this sermon as the little kid, you know, middle schooler that I was, and just knowing that at that moment, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And then there were all these other little times where I just God was pressing upon me that this is what I want you to do. So I went and I started to talk to my parents about, hey, I I feel like God's telling me this. Like, I just know that this is what God wants me to do. And that's when my parents are like, really, because is when you were a baby, this happened. And we even have a uh, little recording uh, of when this person came to our church and can tell you about uh, what he said. And so it was really cool. um, Just knowing that God spoke to me first about wanting to be a pastor. And then it was confirmed with other people telling me that they that God had told them as well. And uh, then, you know, throughout the years, God's kind of clarified my calling a little bit. And I remember this one time when I was practicing Bible quiz at home, and all of a sudden, I just, I heard God speaking to me, not like an audio or like an audible voice, like out loud, but more like a inward voice inside. If that makes sense, might be a little confusing. <laughs> but I heard God specifically say seven words to me and uh, those seven words, or it might not be seven words something like that. Uh, Those words were, go to the lost sheep of Israel. And that might seem to some people to say, hey, that means you should go and minister to Jewish people and make them messianic Jews. But that's not what God was telling me. Because what had happened is when I was um, in quizzing, I remember how I used to always look at the scriptures and see how the people who were the Jewish people in Jesus's day and age, We're so similar to the church nowadays, how we see people who they go to church, they follow God, but sometimes they just kind of miss that point where they accept Jesus as their personal savior. It's more like something they do instead of something that they are. And when God said those words to me, I knew in that moment that God was saying, I want you to go to those people who are in the church who they haven't really given their lives over to me. Yes, they come to church, they sing the songs, but they're not really living for me. And so from that moment on, I just knew that God wanted me to be someone who disciples people, who is in the church and helps those who are in the church become, as uh, John Wesley said, a full Christian as opposed to an almost Christian. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
0: I, I was going to say that it reminds me of how you, why you love the, our doctrine of sanctification so much, um, because that plays into how we grow in grace. And so then you brought up John Wesley, who obviously, <laughs> obviously don't have to say anymore after that, um, in your, like growing up in your life, did you, were you able to see examples of other women leading or pastoring or preaching, um, uh, this is something that I, I didn't really see a lot of, or that I hear other women say they, they didn't necessarily see that. So I'm curious, were, did you ever see examples of this?
1: Yeah. When I was a kid, I remember that for a short amount of time, we went to this church and the senior pastor was a woman. Wow. In fact, I think she was a single woman. Wow. And it wasn't the Nazarene church, uh, but it was with a different denomination. And I think for me that helped because I never had doubt. It wasn't until like I got a little bit older that I realized that not all denominations accepted women. And so it just kind of, I guess it gave me confidence that this was not a door that was closed to me, that it, I never had doubt in it. And I've just known a few other pastors, not a ton though. Um, I actually forgot that I had her as a senior pastor at a church I was at. Um, And also my mom, she actually served as a pastor for a time, uh, non-denominationally. And she has since um, not served in that capacity. She's also a nurse. And so that's where she has mostly um, worked as an adult, but for a time she did work as a pastor. And so I've been uh, surrounded by strong women not necessarily always a ton of strong women, but definitely strong women.
0: No, I think that helps. And if you've always, if you've seen those examples and like what you said, it doesn't, there's no doubt that creeps in or you just assume that that's normal. And and that's um, where I especially am hoping that our denomination is headed, you know, uh, to be historically have always ordained women and supported women in ministry and to have gone through decades where we were lacking that, I feel like we're finally starting to see that. And again, part of the reason why we're doing these interviews is to show um, that women pastors exist out there. And for those listening that could um, possibly be feeling a calling and wondering, um, is this possible? So your voice is really important. And I love that you had um, examples of that. What about mentors have you ever had Um, other women pastors as mentors or examples locally? This is something I've struggled with. So I was just curious if you have.
1: (laughs) Well, I've kind of struggled with that too, because I think what happens is, is when you have someone who is your mentor and you're a woman, oftentimes you look for a female mentor but if they're in the process of mentoring, they're probably also mentoring like 10 other women because there are right. no other women mentoring. And so you don't have that one-on-one mentorship. So mm-hmm. it's something that I have someone who has said, I will mentor you. I know they're also really busy mentoring other people. So uh, I would love to have more mentors, yeah. but it's not always as easy. And men, um, they're not always the best at mentoring women because then they feel uncomfortable on one-on-one settings. And i not saying that I haven't had someone who for a time mentored me who is male, but you don't have as many people offering to mentor you if they are male.
0: No, that's that's definitely true. And I, I think that's part of the stereotype that we have that we're, um, men feel like they, can't or shouldn't mentor women. And it puts us in a really bad place when there aren't that many women available. Um, So what are we supposed to do? Right. We are left like saying, okay, well, who's going to help me? Um, I was curious. I didn't put this in our stereotypes, but um, I don't know if you're familiar with the Billy Graham rule where you can't be alone with another male in the room or especially a male colleague have you ever experienced something hurtful like that where you just want to go to lunch with another colleague or you just need to sit down and have a meeting and this person has refused to to do that because of
1: that I mean I think I've experienced a little bit of that not too too much but I'm also like I kind of feel torn about That rule, like on the one hand, it does get in the way of sometimes mentorships or things in regard to the work world. But on the other hand, I kind of agree with it, not so much on whether or not I'm going to have like a sexual relationship with some guy, because that regardless of whether or not people see what I'm doing or not. But as a young, single female, I don't necessarily always feel safe Mm -hmm. being one on one with a guy because you know things happen things happen in churches all the time and for safety wise not so much whether or not I'm going to have an inappropriate relationship because I'm not going to do that but more like for safety because you never know what people are thinking right so it makes sense that you would be thinking about yourself
0: um, but what that rule I think has turned into is more of shifting the blame towards the female cohort instead of the male. Yeah, exactly. And that's where, we get and that's where I have issue with yeah. it. Yeah, absolutely.
1: well Because okay. with that stereotype that you uh, mentioned about how uh, the you want my husband, like all right. the all the, same, or the female pastors are always wanting the all the men, like, ooh, right. I want your man. Oh, okay. <laughs> Thank you.
0: You've got my own. I just don't oh, know. <laughs> Very good. Uh, Well, tell us where you are in, I'm assuming you're, um, you're still working on your education with your credentialing and all that. Tell us where you are in your like that um, licensing and
1: all of that. Okay. Well, so when I graduated from high school, which actually it's been a while now, um, I graduated like um 2014 I think yeah something like that so it's been almost like seven years so when I graduated from high school I knew that I was going into ministry and I also knew that you don't make money going into ministry so instead of going no like seriously I thought we were gonna have mega churches right no just joking um so I knew that I wasn't gonna make a lot of money. And I also wanted to jump right into ministry. So instead of going to a university and getting student loans, because I was gonna to have to pay, you know, I didn't have family that was gonna pay for like four years, eight years of school, whatever, you know, regardless of what degree I got. And so what I did is I went through the Nazarene course of study, which is the ministry classes that are necessary for ordination. And so I started interning at my local church at the same time I started taking um, those courses studying ministry classes. And I actually finished those classes about two, maybe three years ago. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so I am in the process with ordination where I have had my district license. I'm just waiting for years of experience because they don't count internship years as, Mm -hmm. um, as years of experience which, you know, uh, I don't, I don't really get that. But you know what, they have their reasons with that. And so um, Mm -hmm. I'm a district licensed pastor. I'm just waiting on my years of experience in order to be ordained.
0: How many years do you
1: have in then? Because you have to have three, right? Three consecutive is what they say. Yeah, well, it's a little bit confusing, to be honest. Like, it's like, if you're part time, it has to be Wait, if it's full time, it's three years, but if it's part time, it's more than that. But then, like, it's not always clarified if it's six years if you're doing part time, or if it's four years if you're doing part time. So, I'm not sure exactly, in all honesty. I think I only have about a year left. I just started, um, I was part time at my church, and now I'm full time. So, hopefully, that'll speed some things up. I hope so, for your sake, because it does feel
0: like it drags on and on, and you feel the I know I started to feel very discouraged about that. So um, I am curious, how, how long have you been district licensed then? Um,
1: while? I think since 2016, if I recall correctly, is when okay. I got my first district license. Okay. But I was interning a good amount yeah. of yeah. years.
0: I'm curious, if, would you talk a little bit about your experience interviewing. I feel like this is something a single pastor could speak about. Um, I know as a woman, I hate that we have to bring our spouse with us everywhere. Um, I have hardly ever interviewed or done anything related to credentialing without my husband sitting next to me, which makes me feel like a little child. So um, I don't go to my husband's job interviews and I don't sit in with his boss on his one-on-ones. But somehow he always has to tag along with me and I get some of those. Um, obviously ministry is a little different and I get that, but it still makes me feel like a child rather than um, that. I can speak for myself. And so as a single person walking into a district interview um I, I'm sure your experience has been different. I'm, I'm just curious, um, and you can say as much or as little as you want, but I'm just curious how those have gone. And um, uh, I I sent you an interview, uh, or I'm sorry, an article written by my good friend and colleague, Alicia McClintock. Um, and I, she's gonna not be happy that I don't have the name of her article in front of me, um, but we will put it in the show notes. I will make sure that we, we do that. Um, but it's about being single and ministry. And one of the things she talked about was just um, how the church can do better. Um, and I think she addressed something like this is, is in an interview. Um, often there's two chairs sitting there as if like her imaginary husband will walk in the door or whatever. And I'm wondering, was did you ever experience something like this? And um, just talk about that for a little bit.
1: <laughs> Well, when it comes when it's come to district licensing, it's it's not so much uh, a thing with me because uh, they never ask me any questions about my relationships like they don't ask me if I'm married or anything. In the interview. And so we just kind of talk about other things in regard to ministry and being a district licensed pastor. But it is kind of interesting whenever I'm writing out my uh, application, because, you know, we have to each year yeah. write a new application. And it's like, do you? Uh, what's the name of your spouse? What's the name of your children? And it's like, do I just leave it blank or do I need to put non applicable? Or, you know, then it's like, are there names? Like, here's what I'd like his name to be. <laughs> I know. It, it just, it kind of, it's weird. And so with interviewing with the district, it's not been anything, but uh, about two, three years ago, before I came to my present church, I was doing a lot of interviews for local churches, because Mm -hmm. I, not necessarily in Florida, but like all over, I was looking around because I was done with my internship. I had served in a children pastor capacity for about a year or two there, and I was ready to move on now that I had completed my course of study work. Mm -hmm. And you kind of got this feeling that when you're interviewing with all these different people, that they kind of, they looked at you as a little bit less than because it was just you and they weren't gonna get work out of your spouse as well. And it not that anyone directly said that, but you kind of sometimes get this feeling of, okay, there's only one person. And um, it kind of makes it, what's the right way of putting it? You can tell that you're already going into situations with one strike against you. Yeah. Uh, Like, you have to defend why you're you're a single person. Exactly. Like, I'm not just going to go randomly find some guy to get married to just because the church wants me to even though I think life would be easier in regard to sometimes <laughs> not at my present church my present church is really good about that and I'm not saying my past churches were either or yeah, like or we're yeah. bad about it either but just like in general um but something that actually for me one of the hard things so with our denomination we have these things called uh pastoral retreats. oh good and, I was gonna ask about this and <laughs> it's supposed to be the sign that your church pays for it. And you, uh, you get to go and relax a little bit because as pastors, we have very stressful jobs. We love our jobs. We love them, but it can be hard and we need our Sabbath rest too. And sometimes a retreat is our Sabbath rest. Well, the way they word them mm-hmm. makes it so that if you're a single pastor, you don't feel comfortable. Like mm-hmm. I remember one year it was, uh, pastors and mates, Mm -hmm. cruise or or like they always put the spouse on it and honestly it makes me think well I guess I'm not invited because it's a couple's retreat right right and so like I guess they do it so that people know that their spouses are allowed to go but it just makes me feel like I'm not invited or at least like even if I am invited It's going to be really awkward if I go because they're all going to have their spouses and they're going to be resting together, like, you know, Sabbath rest. Mm -hmm. Um, And like, where do I fit into this? Like, Mm -hmm. am I going to go and literally be in my room all day because I have no one to hang out with? Can't hang out Uh, with the other couple. Yeah, understood. like, it's not a ton of fun. And it's not very restful to go and hang out with a bunch of married couples who are looking at you like, oh, this poor kid who doesn't who isn't married, because people also look, people also look at you as younger. Mm-hmm. Like my birds in the background, they're like, I'm with you, <laughs> sister. <laughs> but like they look at you like you're a kid if you're not married. Like, I'm 26 years old, so I know I'm a young pastor, but the fact that I'm not married, uh, I get categorized as the, like, in the college age, instead of Mm -hmm. the young adult. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: I've heard other um, single colleagues talk about how the pricing of these kind of things is discriminatory, too, because a single room costs more which doesn't make any sense because now with a single person, you only have one income or, you know, typically. so
1: Yeah. Um, well, I don't think it's discriminatory because in the fact that it makes sense logically, like right. I get that, but it also still makes it hard. Yeah. Um, but honestly, one of the comments that it's a little bit off topic of what you said, but kind of goes along with it a little bit, something that I heard a, youth minister uh say to me once we were talking like you know like just having a discussion you know like not heated discussion or anything just a normal conversation and we're talking about ministry and this particular person and we were talking about money and this particular person said that it um men should be paid more because they're the people who take care of their families and (laughs) and, yeah as a pastor that they should be paid more because they are uh, they take care of their families and I don't remember how I responded because I was like trying to be really nice and not like just like ah at them (laughs) but um like as a single female like is my family not important should I just starve so that uh, and and do work for free, which yes, the work of God is important, and I'll do the work of God no matter what. But you know, Paul talks about how the worker is worse if their wages. Like it's like completely you know,
0: illogical to say that if you're doing the same exact job.
1: <laughs> exactly. So, like when it comes to certain things in ministry, it's like okay, like am I worse less because I'm single? Am I worse less because I'm female? I mean. I don't right. know. I mean, like, I know I'm not, but you know, right. But <laughs> well, we know a lot of things, but, but these, I think that's a
0: really important thing that you brought up because it's, it's something that's out there. It's a typical way of doing things. Um, I, I, I have seen that where the, the, typical female associate on the staff is offered part-time instead of full-time or especially if if she's married they think oh well her husband will support her it's still that under that underlining of saying that you're just not as valuable to the team um yeah i could say more but i i won't (laughs) Have we don't want to get in
1: trouble, right? <laughs> I have experienced that as well. So um and if, and if you mention anything about it or like try to defend yourself, then you're like the crazy woman who is like too sensitive.
0: Huh. You're being you're just being emotional, Lydia. <laughs>
1: what can I say? Hey, I'm a woman. I must be like yes. hormones, <laughs> emotional ones. <laughs> exactly. How dare you?
0: show how you really feel. Yeah. So this, these are, I think why it's valuable to bring up things like this is it's, it's honestly, like, I want to think that everyone has thought through these kind of things, but I, I think it's so in the water that, um, especially the way that our systems and structures work, it's, it just may not have ever been, I want to, believe that it hasn't been addressed or thought through um, because like you said, things like pastor's retreat is supposed to be a wonderful time of rest and Sabbath. Um, but what it turns into for the Bible or the covo pastor is that they have to take off time from work that they can't afford to do, or that the single pastor feels left out just because of wording, which wording can be changed so easily and, and made more welcoming. Um, Uh, Even for for me, I haven't ever attended one of the retreats because we don't have family that lives nearby or anyone we can leave our kids with. So we always have to skip that too. So it's not really exactly family friendly either. Um, And so I I feel like if some of these things can be rethought, um, I think the idea of going somewhere and resting and, and being around other colleagues sounds wonderful. Um, but yeah. if we can bring them up to date a little bit um, with how life is today rather than 30 years ago when your typical male pastor with a stay-at-home wife could do those kind of things, right? Um, I just think that we're forgetting a whole group of really important colleagues that whose voice could be heard if we opened the door um, to that. So that's that's my side Preaching today, but in lots of areas. I agree with you. I agree with you. <laughs> okay. Um, so we talked about your credentialing. So how so you're getting, so your goal though is ordination. And oh, you yes, hopefully are getting close to that. I'm excited for you. Um so then you are currently serving and have always served in children's ministry. Is that correct?
1: Yes, it is. Okay. Uh, it's just one why of the very-
0: ministry is that where you feel called to? Is that just where you felt? Is it because you're a woman? Is it because you're young? They needed well, somebody.
1: <laughs> I mean, it doesn't hurt that I'm a woman if when it comes to the children's ministry. Um, but actually, that's not exactly how I got into it. But I mean, I'm sure it didn't hurt it. Um, I kind of let me think of how I want to word this. So <laughs> I feel not feel. I don't like saying the word feel because feelings and emotions can change. I know that I'm where God has called me to be now to serve in children because that's the present generation. Oftentimes kids are thought as the future generation or the next generation. They're Present generation of the church, and Mm. so I've kind of worked really well with kids. Uh, I somehow relate well to them. I don't know how. I don't know what that has to say about my maturity level or not. I don't necessarily. I know that that's not where I'm going to be forever. I know that I am for this time, but just not always. Mm. Uh, My hope, my dream, my calling is in the future to be in a senior pastor position. And I know it might be a lofty goal, but I would love to be a part of the government within the Church of the Nazarene and be a pastor that maybe is one day a DS or a GS, which is, a um, again, a lofty goal, but I- I don't think I, that's lofty.
0: <laughs> I love that so much. <laughs>
1: Well, I love the, I love the governmental aspect of the church. And I know that sounds really weird. Whenever you say the word government, people are like, ah, like they think, you know, politics, and then everybody starts arguing. But we have certain procedures, certain aspects in our denomination that allow for our our local churches not to be the only support our churches have. If Our church government allows us to have a district church where we as pastors can, and make friends with other pastors can share our joys, our sorrows, our confusion and of leading churches. And so as a district, we have that. And then we also have our global um, church government that allows us, as not just Florida district, not just as, you know, South Carolina, not just United States, but as a global church, we all need each other. And I would love to be a part of that solution of how we work together. And also I think that it wouldn't hurt our denomination to have more women in higher places of authority that help other um, churches and other pastors, not because, let me clarify something. I'm not one of those people that thinks that, oh, you have to have a certain amount of women in order for it to be, or you have to have a certain matter of, of you know, mm-hmm. you get mm-hmm. what I'm saying. Yes, I think yeah. though that as we see more female pastors, there's, there should equally be a certain amount of people in our leadership that represents what the local church looks like, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Yeah, totally. And if
0: I think, um, To to go back to your comment, the reason why it sounds lofty and it feels lofty is because right now in the USA, there's only one female DS and in Canada, there's only one. So that means like hundreds of churches, we're only seeing one female leader and to put women in in roles as lead pastors is just still a struggle. We are still just seeing the numbers they're they're jumping and they've jumped you know over the last decade. I think at last count I heard fourteen percent, but I don't. We'll have to check that to be sure. But that's still really low for a denomination who has been ordaining women over a hundred years. Um, and so, what I think it's going to take, and maybe I should ask you what you think it's going to take. But I think it's going to take men. In positions to say, I'm going to give up my position for this this leader, or I'm going to mentor this leader with the intention of knowing that she is going to come in and step in. Um, I think, well, I'll stop talking because this is your interview. But <laughs> I do think if there's something powerful about a, a male preacher who will step aside and open up this pulpit. Or ask um, females to come in and, and give voice so that the congregations can hear that. So, I'm curious, what are there other things that you think need to happen for the for the doors to start opening?
1: Well, that's a really good question, and again, with what I was saying earlier is is I don't think that just because a woman wants to be in a position that they should be. It should always be the most qualified. Mm -hmm. But I think that as we see the dynamics of the church, where we see more female pastors coming into place, that naturally we should have more female leadership. And along along the lines of what you're saying is is, it's going to require male pastors saying, hey, I'm willing to mentor you. And yeah, it's gonna be maybe a little bit weird and we're gonna have to learn the aspects of of the different uh, dynamics, Mm -hmm. but I'm still going to put the work in because I realize that in the future or even in the present, that's what's needed. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that the dynamics of our congregations are changing. Mm -hmm. We're seeing, like all the previous generations, where the older generation is dying out. Mm -hmm. I mean, none of us live forever and new people are taking the places of those who have died. Mm -hmm. And when I think of generation X, generation Z, millennials, we're the ones that are both the present church as well as the future church. And we think differently. And that doesn't make us better, It doesn't make us worse, but I think that when I look at teenagers in our youth groups and kids in our kids ministry, that they're the church of now, but they're also going to be ones leading the church when we're gone, when they see those female pastors, whether it be the lead pastor or the children pastor or the youth pastor, when they see us, they're not going to ask, well, why is she in there? They're going to just be, okay, she's a pastor. He's a pastor why are we even talking about this? Right. And once, we, once we get to that great, point right? where we don't feel like we have to talk about it because it's just happening, that's when we're going to see more and more of female pastors rising up on the uh, governmental realm. Or I know I'm yeah. not using a good analogy, but no, you know no. what I mean.
0: Yes, yes, absolutely. That, that's a great answer. And so it is going to take, it's going to take, um, it's going to take structural change. It's going to take people, um, kind of coming out of of their ways. But I know that we're seeing it, and and I, and I feel confident that um, we have the leaders. I mean, you're a great example of somebody who is a strong young leader, and so we just need to be. Um, aware that strong leaders exist and that they should be put in position so that like what you said, if you don't have the opportunities to serve and you don't have the opportunities to get that experience, if I'm never offered uh, the position to get the experience, then when it comes time to me wanting to be, Mm -hmm. you know, something higher, then I don't have any way to prove that I can do that. And so we have to start opening up doors.
1: Um, Exactly. Uh, and when we get the doors open, here's the thing like, I'm not just choosing to speak because I want my voice to be heard. When we as female pastors are given those opportunities, God does the work. Mm-hmm. You know, God didn't call us because He wanted to, our voices to be silent. When we speak what God wants us to speak, God changes people's hearts, He allows them. And something I've heard before. Um, I've heard it from multiple pastors before, and I've heard them say, well, sometimes women don't want to hear female pastors. Well, part of my mind always goes to whenever I hear that is you might be right, but still let them preach because maybe they don't like to hear a female preach simply because they don't, don't have the experience of it. And who wants their entire reputation as a pastor to be done by one sermon or based on the sermon of someone that they heard 20 years ago? You know, uh, it takes multiple times of hearing people preach or letting that person come into your life and uh, walk alongside you in discipleship. And it doesn't happen with one day, one week. It's, multiple days, multiple years of experience, and God will do the work.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Um, good stuff, Lydia. I love it. Okay, so in, um, as we draw to a close, um, I'd like to ask you what, do you, what are your greatest concerns, or I don't want to say worries, but maybe some of the concerns you have for the church today, and as we move into the future? And then on the other side of that, I'm going to
1: ask what gives you hope. So, um, yeah. I think that our greatest concern or my greatest concern or worry is that the church will lose its effectiveness, not because we're not showing an example of a Christian lifestyle, but rather because we're not willing to accept everyone into our church. And I know that gives a lot of different imagery of who those people are, but I think of women in particular, when I say that, I think of single women like myself. I think of women who don't fit the mold of the church that has been going on for years. There's from generations past who always saw women as someone who is married, someone who's taking care of the children, someone who stayed at home, and not seeing that there are women who they love God, but they don't feel comfortable in the church. I'm talking Mm -hmm. from a a pastoral perspective, Mm -hmm. but I think that happens with our lay people as well. We need to be able to say, it's okay. Not don't actually say it to them, but in our hearts and in our actions, be able to say to people, you're not married? Okay, who cares? Mm -hmm. You are married? but you're a woman and you wanna take on leadership, awesome. We have to stop seeing people based on the other people in their life. Mm -hmm. My merit as a person is not depending on, or like, it's not about me being a woman. I'm just a follower of God. We have to have that mindset. Excellent.
0: Thank you for sharing that, that's excellent. Um, so then in, in conclusion, then what, what gives you hope about the church? What are some things that you see that you just for you joy and, and fill you with the hope that God is working and moving and.
1: Anytime I go to church or I serve in ministry, because I don't always do everything uh, ministry wise, just based on being inside a church building. But when I see people falling in love with God. That's what gives me hope because I know it's a really churchy answer to say, Mm -hmm. but when it really comes down to it, God's the one that's in control. We have our choices. We're the ones that choose how we're going to present God to people. But when it comes down to it, the Holy Spirit is the one that does the most work. And it gives me hope when I see that little girl on Sunday morning, talking about Jesus, because she knows who Jesus is in her life. Mm -hmm. Or when I see that boy who he uh, is such a frustrating child, who doesn't ever listen to anything you say, but he's looking forward to hearing the next story about Jesus. That's Mm -hmm. what I get excited about. Mm -hmm. I get excited because not only am I able to show them an example of who Jesus is, I mean, able to show them an example of a woman who's following Jesus. But they get to be the next step. They are the present generation of the church. And they're the ones that are going to be leading us. And so I get excited when I see them love Jesus.
0: Fantastic. I love that so much. And um, I would be honored to be a pastor to serve on your district if you're ever DS. And... Um, it's, it's an honor to serve with you now on this district. And I hope that we can um, hang out more. I know these gears of COVID have been hard and we're kind of far apart from each other, but um, I really do admire you from a distance and um, you're doing great work, Lydia. So just know that there are people um, like me watching you and learning from you too. And so I just think um, that women in ministry are important, um, but uh, your voice should be heard. And so I thank you for sharing with us today.
1: Thank you so much for asking me to come and talk. And, and I know I kind of rambled a few times. So uh, thank you for listening to all my rambling. And I've, I love of uh, working with God with you. you know, I love ministering with you and I can't wait until we get to actually be in person a little bit more. Yeah, me too. Awesome. Thanks so much. This has been the Millennial Pastor Podcast. This show is created and produced by Byron Certain and Josiah Jones. It is edited by Caden Barksdale. Original music by Andrew Jones. And today's host is Amy McCrofsky. We thank you so much for listening. And we would ask that you would rate, review, subscribe, and share with friends. And until next time, stay tuned for the next Millennial Pastor Podcast.